Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fun Calibre. I'm Sam Slater and today I'm joined by Peter Ewens, manager of BMO Global Smaller Companies Trust. Hi Peter. Hi there. So could you give me your outlook for global stock markets over the next 12 months or so please? Always difficult outlooks for the markets. Um, at the moment, as uh, everyone knows, there's a lot going on in the world politically, which is having impacts on the markets with the US trade uh, situation and China in particular, mm-hmm. and then the close to home Brexit. So a lot of things to think about politically. I think what we've, what we've been conscious of as we've gone through 2019 at the portfolio is that there's been quite a bit of pressure on some companies' earnings. So we've seen downgrades on a net basis on the portfolio and, and when the wider market. Um, but against that, we've seen supportive news from central banks stepping up, cutting interest rates uh, in the US, and interest rates seem set to us to remain low for the foreseeable future. So that's supportive mm. for equities. So ultimately, it's a bit of a mixed picture. Companies um, under a bit of pressure, we're still all waiting for political certainty in various aspects. Um, but, you know, in small cap, we always like to think there's opportunities in the markets to be found. And particularly in the US next year, there's obviously the election coming up. Is that something that you're thinking about now in terms yeah, of how the portfolio is positioned? I think we're all starting to think about the election in, in America. I mean, um, we were talking about it in the office today. And ultimately, we're still not clear who the two candidates are running that election will be. Um, the agendas of the Democrat and the Republican uh, side could be quite different. Um, and so we are conscious of some parts of the market being potentially vulnerable to a, to a, change, of, a change of administration. Um, so, um, you know, companies that maybe operate private prisons um, would, be, would be vulnerable. Um, some aspects of the healthcare system could be changed. Um, but ultimately, um, it seems, you know, it's really too early to judge who's going to win that election. <laughs> yeah. But we are conscious that, uh, you know, that uh, that is in coming closer to, um, to something to be, be conscious of at the moment. And some of the top holdings in the portfolio are in trusts that invest in Japan. Is that because you're positive on Japan at the moment? Well, just to just explain to people, we actually do have a number of funds that appear at the top of our list, and we have three funds in Japan. Um, we decided a number of years ago that we would be better served by, rather than picking individual smaller companies in Japan with our team, um, we didn't have a lot of dedicated smaller company fund management resource within F&C at that time and, and now BMO. So we thought we'd be better by picking a limited number of funds. So we've got three funds uh, run on different styles, um, one by East Spring, which is a value-orientated approach, one by Aberdeen, which is more of a quality growth, hold, buy and hold approach, and uh, more recently, Bailey Gifford's um, a much more growth angle portfolio. So we think the blend of those will actually work quite well, hopefully, for us going forward. At the moment, we think Japan opera is, is, is a relatively attractive place, um, relatively safe in terms of politics, um, obviously impacted by China. And, and the US sort of trade, but ultimately relatively stable. Um, we think corporate governance is inching forward. Um, we're seeing you know better return target return on equity targets for companies in Japan now being set out. So we think that there is um, some attraction to Japan at the moment. Um, I wouldn't say we're um, you know we, we're not we're not totally in love with it if you know what I mean. We're still we're a couple of percent overweight our benchmark. Um, and hopefully we can those funds that we've selected will do well. Uh, but yeah, we hope we can uh, add value in the, in, the, in the coming period. Okay. And do you invest in specific sectors like gold or infrastructure as well? Yeah. So we've got a couple of gold stocks in North America, gold orientated stocks in North America, which we bought actually. In the, we, we increased our exposure to gold this year, um, early part of 2000. And, 
2019, a couple of investments in North America, one called Wheat and Precious Metals um, and one called SSR Mining. And those two companies, we think, were offering, offering us an attractive way of playing gold. And by that, I mean a relatively lower risk way of playing gold. A um, number of investors, I'm sure, listening to this will be conscious that there is quite a bit of specific risk in mining. Mm. Um, a number of mining stocks in the UK market are very volatile and go up and down um, you know, on the back of production problems or um, gold price moves. But these two companies in North America are bigger. They're exposed to North American and Latin American markets, which we think are more politically stable in the mining sense, okay. uh, as opposed to Africa, um, where there's a little bit more risk. Um, so, you know, we think those that we added those holdings early part of the year um, give us some more exposure to gold. Um, we did buy a couple of UK listed names as well. And then as far as infrastructure is concerned, um, again, we are quite nicely exposed to North American infrastructure spending through a couple of American holdings, okay. uh, Martin Marietta Materials, um, Eagle Materials, um, another couple of stocks. So just playing. And I think we do think that North American infrastructure is quite an attractive market because whichever political party wins the next election is probably going to be spending more on infrastructure in North okay. America. Actually, we're also playing that to a degree through a UK-listed company called John Lang, which um, has got more international in its exposure and has quite a big, big um, involvement in North America now, a growing involvement there. So mm-hmm. we do like infrastructure. And then actually, just another just to add on the infrastructure, we hold the Utilico Emerging Markets Investment Trust, which is a, another play on infrastructure on a global basis in emerging markets, uh, which again, we think is a good sort of area to be invested in long term, where there's more money going into these assets. The Trust has a phenomenal track record of increasing its dividend. It's raised it each year for the past 49 years, I believe. Um, to make this possible, one of the advantages is that you can dip into what's called a revenue reserve, which is basically income from previous years that's yes. been put in a pot. Yes. Can you give us an example of one such time when you might have dipped into it to maintain that dividend record? Yes, so I became the lead manager of this fund in 2005, and since then, in two years, in 2010 and 2011, we did dip slightly into the revenue reserve. that was at a time where, if you remember, there was the big global recession. Uh, companies were under a bit of pressure, so yeah. dividend income on the portfolio did suffer a little bit at that point in time. So it was nice to be able to dip into that mm. revenue reserve and keep the dividend growth record going. Um, more recently, we've just had a period of very strong dividend growth yeah. across the portfolio. And actually, we've been growing the dividend uh, at quite a strong rate in the last few years. So we haven't had to use the revenue reserve. And we've been adding more to the revenue mm. reserve in the last few years. So we've got more than, you know, we've got almost getting on for two years of uh, revenue reserve in, in, in hand uh, okay. compared to the dividend. Uh, so we're two times almost the annual dividend payment in revenue reserve. So hopefully if uh, if we did come to a recession again and, and dividends came under pressure, we could dip in again if we wanted to. But I think ultimately the, we want to just keep building that revenue reserve up if we can, and, um, but equally to pay a progressive dividend if we can again. And it's obviously a bold call on that, uh, on that not mine. Mm-hmm. And another thing that a trust can do that an open-ended fund can't is to use gearing. Can you give an example of when you've increased it or when you've used it recently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the board of this fund actually have got to uh, have a view that uh, they want to remain structurally geared, which to essentially means they want to remain consistently modestly geared um, in, in, in at pretty much all times. Um, so ultimately, um, and the, the reason for that is they feel that uh, timing gearing decisions on a tactical basis is quite difficult for the manager. So actually, just having a steady level of gearing actually takes that sort of uh, decision away, if you like, and the pressure about getting that right. And if you think markets rise over the long term, that, that plays out positively. 
Um, so more recently we've, we've had a pretty consistent level of gearing. Um, I can think back in, in, in the past where I remember an occasion where uh, we had the tsunami in Japan and the mm. Japanese equity market slumped. Um, at that point in time, we did put some more money into that market and increased our gearing at that point in time because we just felt that was an evaluation opportunity, albeit um, you know, it felt a little bit, um, you know, in some, some ways bad to be trying to take advantage of that, that, that tragedy. But ultimately, we would like to increase our gearing when we feel valuations are more, more attractive um, in, in the same way that any other fund manager would, would do. But we do have this structural gearing policy, as I say, where we will remain modestly geared um, through uh, through most points in time. I hadn't really thought about it before in terms of looking at yes. it by region, but I suppose that makes perfect sense mm. that if there's one area that shows value. So yeah, if yeah. things panned out nicely in the coming months, would you use a lot of that gearing in the UK? Which is Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, um, we're obviously monitoring the UK situation. Um, We've got an election in a few in a few weeks. Um, will be an important election, obviously carrying uh, big repercussions for the country. Um, so we are certainly conscious of that and thinking about that in terms of allocation. We've got about a quarter of the assets in the UK, um, which by most global funds standards is actually quite a high yes. allocation now, but relative to our benchmark is actually slightly underweight. So it is something we're giving some thought to. But you know, we've seen in the last few weeks that uh, politics is a very fast moving thing. Um, you know, we, we can't be certain about how it's going to play out at the moment. Um, that, yeah, that's an interesting point. And you mentioned the investment board a moment ago. Um, another of the benefits of the trust structure is that you have the oversight of this board. Um, can you tell us what was discussed at your last board meeting, perhaps how often you meet? <laughs> yeah, obviously, without betraying too many confidences. Um, we, um, we, met, um, we met in October. We had a couple of new non-execs joining the board at that point in time uh, as part of succession. So part of the meeting and part of the, and we actually had a, a conversation with them before uh, that meeting about uh, how the company operates. But ultimately, that meeting was uh, spent, particularly we spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, share buyback policy because the fund has more recently gone onto a discount. And we were talking about uh, the mechanics of that and how, how we should be operating that. That was one thing. One of the other things on the agenda was actually to talk about our Japanese investments we talked about earlier, our Japanese portfolio and our rest of world portfolio of funds. Okay. Um, so like in Japan, in the rest of the world for emerging markets and Latin America and, uh, and Asia, we do use other people's third party managed funds. So I spent quite a bit of time at that meeting talking about the funds that we've got, mm-hmm. what, we, what we thought about them, why we were doing certain things on the portfolio but you know as you can imagine at a board meeting a whole lot of things are discussed but those were the two probably the two new things um, and obviously getting to know the new members of the board was good but um, I've always been uh, lucky to work with a you know very um, the board I've been working with over the years has been a very supportive board and mm-hmm. uh, but that's not to say they don't challenge us quite rightly and they, the fund managers need challenging as you know so you know I think it's um, a healthy thing to have a challenge every couple of months from a board mm-hmm. what are you, why are you doing this why are you doing that and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a useful part of the process really that was really interesting thank you we've run out of time now we're about to head into an investment dinner to talk to journalists about similar topics I'm sure but thank you very much for your time thank you very much I'm Sam Slater and if you'd like to have more information on the BMO Global Smaller Companies Trust please go to funcaliber.com and if you haven't already please subscribe to our podcast Investing on the Go
Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening. 